0: Welcome to another episode of Auntie Please, where we are everything we want to be, nothing you want us to be, and so much more. I am Shaya, and with me is Lama. And today we have a special guest with us. Um, Tarang, introduce yourself.
1: Hi everyone. Um, my name is Tarang. I'm 26 years old, and I'm a former th- former teacher future therapist. So I'm, I'm doing my master's in counseling and psychotherapy right now. Love that.
0: And we thought that we'd just start with a rapid fire question just to
2: get to know <laughs> you a little bit more. So Lama, take it away. Alright Tarang, so you just, whatever is your reflex, okay? Don't think, overthink yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Teh Tare or masala tea. Masala tea. Oh, rerti or nasi Um... Rodi You gotta be faster.
1: Sorry, sorry, sorry.
2: I Kachang or Chendong. Neither. Fair. Same. Oh, okay. Three thing three things you would bring with you during an apocalypse.
1: My guitar, my phone, and Aristotle and Dante discover the secrets of the universe. Wow! I knew.
2: <laughs> okay. He does love that book, yeah. How many languages do you speak?
1: One and a half. <laughs> what? What's uh, English the half? and like half a million <laughs> All
2: right. Would you rather be a leader of a cult or a member of a cult? Leader. Same. Would you rather never get angry or never be envious?
1: Never be angry.
2: Does falling in love at first sight exist? Yes. Would you rather know the uncomfortable truth of the world or believe in a comfortable
1: lie? Uncomfortable truth speak
2: every language or accurately predict the future speak
1: every language
2: <laughs> all right very nice okay. very nice that was it
0: <laughs> a lot of lot of similarities
2: <laughs> Wow I
0: don't know why I was stressed out
2: <laughs> yeah rabbit fire qu- Rabbit fire questions like get me though I get really scared okay um to start off Shai and I realized that every time we bring someone to the pod we always share something in common like with Anisia, it was we were on the same college the net. We all did psych as degrees and I think it's the same for the three of us as well. So why did you choose the mental health field?
1: Okay, so I'm sure like all of us, like we had these grand ambitions of what we're going to be as adults. So I was pretty decent in science all throughout my life Mm -hmm. and I loved animals and I wanted to be a vet. Oh, same!
0: (laughs) Go on, sorry, go
1: on. (laughs) No, it's fine. So I was terrible at biology Um. (laughs) And, like, what is vet science apart from biology, right? So, yeah, obviously, I couldn't do that. Um, and when I did my ADP at Taylor's, um, I did sociology and psychology. And I had no idea that social sciences were a thing. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was like, okay, like, I can do this. And um, when I had to choose between sociology or psychology, I I always wanted to, like, get... Get to know people and like what are what makes people tick and what are the inner workings what are their motivations so I, I went into psychology and like when it came to mental health in particular um, I had to choose because I did my degree in Malaysia mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and um, in Malaysia if you're doing psychology the only two at least when I was doing it the only two um, fields that were lucrative, were, like, human resources or clinical psychology. Yeah. Mm. But I didn't want to do neither. So I had done counseling psychology, and for some reason, like, I just felt completely home in it. I didn't have to, like, be a specific person. I didn't have to to be something that I wasn't or try too hard at something. Like, it just came naturally to me, to counsel. That's when I knew, like, okay, I think this is the right field for me to like pursue as a career
0: nice yeah it's so interesting because like I also wanted to be a vet when I was like a lot younger and then I realized oh like I'd have to be operating on animals because I loved animals but like I didn't want to operate on them I wanted to like work with them somehow um but then eventually like I discovered psych and then kind of went down that path but yeah oh that's so cool but then you were also a primary school teacher or preschool teacher I was a,
1: a preschool teacher okay, yeah. that taught primary school students in like an enrichment program Ooh. Okay um, tell us about that s- yeah So I yeah so um, I used to work in a school called Julia Gabriel Center I primarily worked in the early years uh, department. So I worked from children from six months up until three years. Okay. They also had a, a, a preschool, like a full on preschool, like cuties <laughs> and, and that sort of stuff. And I, I yeah, I taught um, speech and drama there. And then we had like after school classes for children that came from international schools mm-hmm. or government schools that, you know, after school they want to learn some drama classes. And so we offered that. Those go up to oh. 18. And yeah, so I, I I taught those classes as well. Okay. So what was that whole experience yeah. like,
0: especially being like pretty young yourself at that point in time and also like being male, you know, in a field where you typically wouldn't see as many males? The
1: reason why I joined that school was because my sister-in-law, she was there uh, before. Mm. And okay. she knew that I was very dramatic and very <laughs> extravagant and fab. <laughs> Um, so she was like, you should come here. <laughs> this place would be perfect for you. And I don't have any earliest background. Uh, before I started working there, I never thought I would enjoy being with children. Like I always found it a little bit awkward, um, especially as, as a male, you know. But yeah. when I joined, they just do things differently. This is going to sound like an advertisement for Julia Gable Center. <laughs> <laughs> but they really do prioritize drama. They're, they're less academic. They're more yeah. um, holistic in that sense. You know, they, they build character. Yeah. Um, they allow the child to express themselves, um, even in a way that may not be socially acceptable. They bring out the best in the child, and they do that through drama, through play. And you can see, even from young, from when I used to teach the six-month-old babies, like, just mm. getting them to... To open up, even at six months, you know, there's there's a real difference from children who who do our programs and children who don't. Uh, yeah, so I I felt at home teaching speech and drama. And yeah, as a male, it was tricky because but at the same time it also worked to my advantage because uh, children at that age, generally, especially in Malaysia, never see uh, men who are that affectionate, that open, that mm-hmm. expressive, especially an Indian male yeah. with a beard. Uh, not to put, you know, my former school down, but, you know, a lot of the people who enrolled there were, like, you know, upper-class Chinese or Malay um, children who they they were never really exposed to to Indians apart from those who were their security guards or their gardeners i've had parents tell their children to call me uncle when i'm not your uncle I'm your teacher teacher, yeah, so that was a little bit difficult because some children were scared that they've never seen you know someone like this, someone who looks like me, yeah, connect with them in a way that you know they've never experienced before, but some children, on the other hand, some children are really open to that, you know, they see you, they see you doing all these faces and trying to connect with them, and they open up even more, they're like, wow, who are you, I love you, you know, that's they're, <laughs> yeah, they're like, I love you're that. amazing, yeah,
0: <laughs> especially because, like, you don't really see, like, the arts being, like, prioritized in any way in, like, you know, early, early years, or even, like, in primary or secondary school, you know, especially, like, yeah. in a government
1: school, yeah and like so yeah, what, what, I would say, especially in the government school, yeah
0: yeah, what would you say were like the main differences between a kid who had that kind of exposure versus a kid who didn't?
1: We had children from government schools as well as as well as children from international schools, and, yeah, and those from international schools um they were a lot more like rambunctious, they were a lot more they would talk back at you and. Whereas um, the ones from government school, they would be a little bit more quiet and then you'd have to work with them a little bit more. Um, yeah. And they would try to please you. They would they would try to like um, prevent you from being disappointed. Oh, Whereas about those ones from international schools culture. would be like, you, you know, you're here to serve me. That's yeah. And, and and there are pros and cons both ways. But yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. I don't know. I feel like it, it definitely is like the way that the, like the teacher-student dynamic in the schools as well Like especially in government yeah. schools Like it's always like You know no matter what You have to respect your teacher And like it can be like a very abusive dyma- dynamic as well And I think in like In government schools it happens as well So yeah but then at the same time You have international school students That are also like on the opposite end of the spectrum Like extremely entitled yeah. And it's like talking back And you're like whoa 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 yeah. Calm down
1: <laughs> Yeah and that's a that's a very difficult line to to balance on. It's it's normal for a teacher to get um your teacher would get upset in class or, you know, disappointed. And yeah. I've had students on one hand who would cry. They'd be like, We're really sorry, I can't believe I did that and then I've had students who when I've said that I'm I'm disappointed or that I expected more. They'd be like, that's your fault for caring, you know. Okay. To me, that was... I really wanted to understand where they were coming from, why they they thought that way. And that's why I want to get into... That's primarily the reason why I want to get into family and marriage therapy. To work with children and to work with families and to to build Mm -hmm. those connections Mm -hmm. and build those bonds. Because, like, I've seen it firsthand how children, they feel like there's so much pressure on them that... When a teacher or you know an authority figure expects something from them and they don't perform, they just lash out. That's when I I've, I really feel like I wanna yeah. To yeah. hold them and to let them know that it's okay. You know, you don't have to be all these things.
2: That like oh my god when you said that like holding that space with them, I was like <laughs> I wish I had that as a kid because I was definitely one of those kids <laughs> that like you you feel this like gigantic like weight of disappointment when you don't think you're meeting the expectation of your teacher especially when it's a teacher that you look up to and you actually like seek their approval of and then you don't do something that you think that they will approve of or they like are you know not not disappointed by what's the opposite of disappointed i don't know Or whatever that is and it's like (laughs) proud (laughs) yeah Yeah, proud yes (laughs) can't even figure out the word that's the opposite that's how much (laughs) but yeah it's like you know and yeah it definitely takes me back to like my childhood and a lot of the times where i I would feel like i was disappointing someone instead of like being able to have that conversation and you know work through that disappointment and understand why like i would just lash out because i'm like i don't know where to place these emotions so exactly i might as well just let you know yeah
1: how interesting! And I guess partly the reason why I am able to see that in children and to, to to want to hold that space for them is because I was able to to have that space. I have I'm the youngest in my family. I have three elder brothers. The eldest is a doctor. The second eldest is an engineer, mm-hmm. and <laughs> the third is a lecturer <laughs> who got his masters, and he was 21 years old.
0: Oh, uh, yo. your parents must be yeah, so happy. So,
1: <laughs> on one hand, yeah, my parents are happy that, okay, these children all did really well. So they could probably lay off on me a little bit. And honestly, they did. I don't know whether it's a generation gap, okay. but uh, my brothers got whacked as as kids. They rebelled mm. and they got whacked. Mm-hmm. Whereas for me, I never had that. I was always cared for. I was, I was always... Told that it's okay to, to cry, it's okay to express yourself. Like, So I was able to have that experience as a child and seeing, you know, my students not have that, you know, it, it breaks my heart a little bit and I want my classroom to be a space where they're able to be whoever they want to be, regardless of any expectations from authority figures.
0: And sometimes it's also just about giving them permission. Like I, for lack of a better word, like sometimes they just need that permission to be able to like... Express themselves and say that you know I'm not happy or like exactly. I'm upset or I feel yeah. a certain way. Yeah. yeah, they feel like they're not even yeah. getting that.
1: You know, and it it starts At a very really basic early. Level. Like I've seen children as young as like yeah eighteen months. It's like as young as two years old who who feel the need to hold themselves back because of of their parents or because of mm-hmm. you know authority figures in their life who just who've Condition them to, to act a certain way.
0: Yeah, hold themselves back in like what way?
1: So one good example is we have this thing called snack time where not really a time for children to eat. I mean, obviously there's food there, like age-appropriate food. But it's also a time for children to be exposed to different uh, textures, different flavors, different smells. Mm. You know, they're allowed to... Yeah. Play with their food in a way. But, you know, we have parents who, when the children do play with their food, when they take it and they smash it on their mouth or like, like a watermelon stick and they, you know, try and draw, hold the watermelon and, and draw on their plate, their parents would reprimand them for that. Mm. As, as, a, as an educator, we see the, the long term benefits of them doing that, of them exploring those senses. And, and we can see that holding them back isn't isn't going to be beneficial in the world. Yeah. So, like, we, we try and... As much as we educate the children, we also educate the parents. You
0: know? Yeah. Mm. Has that yeah. ever been a challenge? Like, balancing, you know, what's best for the kid, but also, like, trying to correct parents and, in a way, I guess, like, almost tell them how to parent with, like, certain things that you may have more knowledge on?
1: At the start, it was pretty difficult because I became a teacher when I was just before my my 22nd birthday. And I had parents who were Dattos and Dattins and Tantris and, you know, Mm. they were never... I guess they, they never envisioned someone much younger than them with much less experience in childcare to open up their perspective, yeah. But, you know, you do have some parents who are very grateful for that because... They don't know because a lot of them are first time parents, so they they very much welcome that sort of advice um but you do have some parents who who can be a little bit more difficult but then when it comes to that, you have to realize as an educator as a teacher, there's only so much you can do, yeah, and as heartbreaking as that is, you know you're not the parent you're their teacher fair so. enough
0: so like I work with kids as well like um so I work with kids with like special needs, and I can definitely see how like. You know the potential for like that to be an issue that's why i was just like curious about how um you know you handled all of that yeah we
1: we have children who are special needs and we've had parents who are in complete denial of yeah. the needs of their children
0: That's the hardest Yeah To handle that It's
1: Really difficult And I'm thankful I personally have never had the Experience of uh, Telling a parent that um, But like my bosses You know They've had those conversations mm. They've worked with therapists uh, To like Bridge that gap Between the The parent and the child As a parent You know It's it's. I can only Try and Sympathize yeah. with them I can't even use the word Empathize Because you know I've never been in that situation Yeah but yeah. you know it's it's all about no being very yeah. mindful of um what the parent feels as well as what the what's best for the child, you know, and you at the end of the day, you have to realize that as yeah. a teacher and as their parent, we both have the same goals. We want the best for your child, um so it's just finding a way to to do that.
0: So true, yeah, it's always hard to navigate that mm-hmm. um, yeah. Lucky, like, yeah, I don't really have to do that either. <laughs> <I> and <mean>, you <laughs> never want to be but... the person
1: who tells a parent that their child um, needs special needs, you know? Um, yeah, it's yeah to, because all all parents they they think that oh their child is the best it's that that you know, and that goes back to the expectations of parents put on yeah. on their children, you know. So to try and and get them to unlearn all that is 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 very difficult. Oh,
0: well, I guess like you know. We just like do the best we can, yeah, and it's about finding that like balance of like what's best for the kid, but also how to like communicate with the parent to get them to you know also listen and be more open
1: but on on the flip side we we do have children who um who are on special who are who do have special needs, and we've spoken to the parents and they're very much uh willing to learn and to work with us, and they've gone for they've you know, left our school, gone for therapy and then come back. And they're so much more expressive and so much more um, open to to following our our program.
2: Exactly. And I think like in Malaysia, it's also just like the whole idea of seeing a counselor or going to therapy is just like it, it's something new that people are adjusting to. And I think people have always gone and seen therapists, counselors, psychologists, but it's about being, like, open about it and, like, being very comfortable and, like, mm. normalizing that whole conversation. Like, even when I was at work recently, like, my colleagues will, like, it's like, everyone's like, oh, yeah, you should see a counselor. Counselors are great. And I was like, yeah, everyone should, you know, like, therapy's great. Like, we should all go to therapy. And then everyone's like, oh, not not a therapist, though. Like, a counselor. I'm like they're all the same you know like all the same little big umbrella yeah it's in melbourne it's in melbourne so it's interesting like even in a place like melbourne where you know like it's it's the conversation of mental health is not a new one it's like it's there and it's constantly developing but you still have like people that are still reserved to the idea of Mm. calling it therapy or calling it you know seeing a psychologist or whatever it is it's just like the the term counselor is comfortable but anything other than that is very like (laughs) like oh that's not me
1: yeah You know, as much as as adults feel that stigma, you know, imagine when their parents and their child needs to go for for therapy, they would feel even more so reluctant. Yeah, that's very true. People need to realize that it's not that your child is deficient in any way. It's not that your child is is doing poorly. It's just that your child has different needs, special needs. You know, we're all there to achieve the same goal. We all want to help your child. It's just a matter of whether you want to accept that help or not.
0: Yeah. And it's very doable. Like, it's it's possible to, like, get that help and, like, you know, have it make a difference.
1: Well. To an extent. It I does. Guess. It is expensive. Yeah. 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 You know, That's the, another the thing. Does...
0: Yeah. Now, you talk. Yeah. You
1: speak on it. When it comes to the private sector, it, is, it can be mm. very expensive. Yeah. To get a shadow teacher um, to come in and work individually with your child while they're in school, you know, it's a very, very expensive thing. Yeah. That only the 1%, honestly, the 1% can yeah. afford it. Yeah. And it's, it's really, really sad. What I think is very honourable, very fulfilling work, um, but and, and you do need to pay these people really well because they're doing really hard work, you know. Um, it's sad how expensive it is in the private sector. And I personally don't know any um, options in the public sector that, that offers this, but I wish I knew. Yeah. And these
0: things are often like multidisciplinary as well. Like you need someone who specializes like in autism, you need someone who's an occupational therapist. Sometimes you may need a speech therapist. And it's like, you need all these different professionals um, for your kid. And you know, that just, yeah. everything just adds up. And yeah, like you said, it's not a lot of people can afford The um yeah, there needs to be taken care of. Yeah, and
1: another thing is that these parents, you know, they're working parents as well, and so most of the time it's their quote unquote maids who handle the children, bring them to school. I used to teach an adult, an adult accompanied class where the parents are also in the class learning with the children. A lot of the time, like maybe forty percent of the guardians in my class would be maids. No, so they're the ones doing the hard work of caring for that, for that child children who aren't even their own blood you know that they're, they're being paid to do this yeah so i just want to shout out to the maids out there because they, they they're so so great they're they're always the most cooperative and really kind and yeah. really and they don't get enough recognition for it yeah
0: i agree i feel like i definitely do see that as well and yeah it's true like it's a it's a tough job it's tough like yeah you're being paid for it but it's also like very hard and it can be very draining. So,
2: yeah.
0: I'm actually, like, Loki, like, tearing up, just, like, <laughs> thinking about it and, like,
2: imagining, Shout yeah. Shout out to the Akkas, man. Backbone yeah. of the families. Yeah.
1: Exactly. <laughs> yeah.
2: Um. Uh. Yeah, Shaya, you go. I see your mouth opening.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you saw me, like, take a breath of air. Um- Is
1: everyone Okay. <laughs>
0: No, 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 like, no, no, yeah, we just want to, like, move on to, like, the next, I guess, like, the next segment of, like, (laughs) of, like, the next topic, I guess, um, talking about, like, you know, mental health and, like, sexuality and stuff like that, um, Lama, you can ask the next question.
2: Just a trigger warning before we go into the next section, guys, we are going to be having conversations about biphobia, homophobia, um, violence, so just listen at your own caution and if you need to stop feel free to stop um okay we'll start i guess we'll start with a little bit of an intersection so being like someone that is queer did you observe any differences in like reactions comments the way you were treated um in malaysia versus in australia like are there any differences and yeah what are they like
1: yes i am queer i'm you know, bisexual. I, I'm a little bit femme here and there, you know. I feel like superficially, it's a lot easier to be, okay. to be queer in Australia. Like, when you see a person... Yeah. Dressing or presenting themselves differently from their assigned gender. It's a lot easier to... Like, you see someone on the street who might be non-binary or, you know, gender non-conforming or trans. A lot of the times, people would not even, you know, look at them or, or, you know, make any thoughts about it. Whereas in Malaysia, personally... I felt really scared because I've heard so many stories of transgender women getting murdered in Malaysia. And yeah. I am, as as a person who calls Malaysia my home, I feel very disappointed and betrayed that a country that I would call home would do these things to their own citizen. So what would they do to someone like me who isn't a citizen? I've been in Malaysia for 24 years. I'm a permanent resident there. What would they do to me? You know, so I've had so much of fear about... Um, wearing makeup, wearing a wig, wearing a dress in public. I, uh, it's... It's completely different. However, when you get to know people in Malaysia, and maybe this is true in Australia, I've I've only been in Australia for nine months now, so really I fami- I'm not really familiar. I'm not really yeah. familiar with the scene here yet. But when you get to know people in Malaysia, when they know you as a person before they know you through your sexuality or through your gender presentation, they are so accepting. They are so loving. When I joined um, the school that I that I was working at, mm-hmm. my principal she was queer, you know, and I knew it instantly. And we both had a connection. <laughs> Cute. Other than that, like, I've had uh, colleagues who were staunch Catholics who've always been taught that this is right, this is wrong. Very black and white sort of view on sexuality and gender. And when they knew me as a person before they knew I was queer, I, like, when they found out that I was queer, they were like, oh, oh, really? Really? Oh, and, and obviously there's a little bit of a shift in perspective for them. They, they think oh, they, they, there's a little bit of disappointment. There's a lot of confusion there because they're like, Oh, but you're such a nice person. You're, you know, <laughs> you're so caring.
0: I you can't know. help but laugh about it. Like the fact that yeah. people
1: associate that with being like a bad person. <laughs> like, what does that even mean? From my perspective, I need to understand that this is all they know, uh, whether that's, that's, a good thing or a bad thing you know that's not for me to decide but they see me now and I need to make a stand I need to not compromise who I am just because of what another person might think of me you know so if they really do care for me before knowing about my sexuality you know then they should care about me after I've had colleagues who who used to be yeah. quite transphobic but by the end of my time at that school spending time with my colleagues mm-hmm. they were like i want you to be my bridesmaid at my wedding at the end of the day i don't think it's truly about hatred i just think it's about ignorance it's about exposure and in malaysia there's not a lot of exposure whereas in australia there is mm-hmm. i i've not i've not put on a dress in in adelaide yet but you know when i when i when i wore a dress in malaysia for the first time out in public not actually mm-hmm. in public it was like in a private event everyone around me was supportive and was encouraging and was empowering me and at the end of the night i won best dress of course you did for people who have never um, been exposed to that thing before i was there first i made a difference there as a queer person so i'm very proud of of that and i'm hoping that i can do the same in australia Hopefully, a little bit easier. Like I don't have to go through all that fear.
0: Um, tell us about your coming out story and how that went for you. Um, and I'm also quite curious to know about like how your family took it. Um, if they know about it, because you know how brown parents can be and brown families in general. Um, yeah, how did that go for you?
1: Um, so I guess telling, coming out to my family, was a bit of um, a, a bit of a struggle at first. Um, so it was a long time ago. Um, my, my family and I, like my brothers, my cousins and their partners, we were all at a, a restaurant and that we booked the entire place. We were staying there late at night. All of us were drinking, having a really good time. Um, and I, I wasn't really feeling it. I was just like watching all of my, my family have a good time and, my brother had uh, like asked me what was wrong. And so we had gone out of the restaurant and, you know, I had a lot to drink and he's had a lot to drink. So we we're both pretty intoxicated at that point. And when he asked me what's wrong, I, I just shout out, I'm bi. And um, he, he didn't take to that. He didn't take that very well. He was... He was confused more than anything. Like, he he asked. He kept on asking me whether I was gay, whether I was straight, um, and then like he said. He talked about like how it was gonna affect my parents if I ever told them. Um, so it was that was a pretty difficult night, um, telling my my brother about that because uh, he didn't take it too well, and that that scared me. Like I was a bit frightened after that. Um, but you know, once if we sobered up and, you know, a few days later, um, he apologized and, you know, he, he understood it from where I was coming from and he accepted me for who I am after that. And it was, he was very apologetic and like, um, we've now, we now have like a really good relationship. Um, but at, at, that point after telling my brother telling the rest of my family apart from my parents it was it was generally speaking my family took it well they were very accepting um, but I still haven't I still don't have the courage to to tell my parents uh, about that but yeah apart from my one brother who who didn't really take it that well um it's been great like he he had a good conversation with his partner now now his wife um about it and um she really helped him see where I was coming from um yeah so I'm very much grateful for her for doing that
0: I guess um I guess I can also see where that confusion comes from because I guess depending what, on where you are as well and like who you're talking to people may think that it's oh like you're either straight or you're gay and the concept of being bisexual can be quite confusing because it's like what even is that you know especially if they're not familiar with with the term um so I can see why that could be quite a confusing thing and like yeah. you know why people yeah. would struggle to understand like what that is exactly and like what that looks like um yeah
1: Mm. and and yeah that you bring up a great point like that uh, because they've never heard of bisexual you know they don't know what it is so Mm. they assume that you're either gay or you're straight so um yeah it just comes back to exposure i guess and I, i maybe for my brother like i was the first bi person that he knew and at that point, at that time, he didn't really understand that. But after speaking to my sister-in-law, like, yeah. you know, he he really turned yeah. around. And he's been great.
0: Well, it's pretty good to hear that generally, like, overall, like, everyone was quite, um, like, took it pretty well. And, like, was, like, accepting, like, pretty easily. And, like, yeah. but you also can't deny that, you know, for, like, any family for that matter, like, brown or not, um, there is an amount of, like education that goes into like understanding what these things are and like a level of work as well because even if you kind of get it like sometimes you may not get all of it Um and even mm. though you're accepting maybe you don't understand everything about it as well at the same time so there's always like a bit of work that goes into it and it's great to see that yeah. you know like your family was willing to put in that work as well
1: yeah and again chat you bring up a great point like the, the education um that You know, my family has... Like, I will admit, we are a very privileged family. Like, all of us have gone to international schools. Like, my... My sisters-in-laws, they... They... It it never was uh, an issue, you know? Mm. But... I can't say that it would be like that for all queer brown people. Mm. It's... I I'm very blessed to have a family like mine who when telling them that I'm not straight, they, for the most part, it wasn't a big deal. So, but for other families, it it can be so much more um, traumatizing. So much more difficult. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: And that makes... And it's insane how big of a difference that makes for you, you know, your mental health and, like, your well-being and, you know. And this is your family, right? Like, you you want to be able to talk to them about these things and, like, come to them with these things. Um, And my question is, um, do you feel that, you know, your siblings and, like, you know, your sister-in-laws knowing is enough for you? Or do you feel like, you know, you would, like, definitely need your parents to know at some point? Like, how do you, like, feel about that? Yeah, This
1: is a question that, is different for every queer person, and mm. what I'm gonna say, you know, bears no judgment upon any other queer person who feels differently. They have completely different experiences to me, completely different relationships to the parents compared to me. But personally, I would want my parents to know because that's the relationship I have with them, especially my mom, because I feel like no matter what, she's always she's always shown unconditional love towards me and I've had these sort of conversations with my parents before you know I have a cousin who is openly gay you know I've had conversations with them like oh what if I was like my cousin (laughs) when I had that conversation with them the first time they were like yeah we'd be disappointed and you know it goes back again to the expectation of
2: yeah uh, parents
1: that have children (gasps) you don't want to disappoint them but I will say my dad who grew up in a very religious household you know who has Christianity as one of the main pillars in his life? Um, there was a time when my church, uh, who, which are, they're kind of, you know, a little bit more progressive than your Orthodox church. Okay, um, mm-hmm. they had a series of sermons about love. One week they had a sermon that was about. Loving the LGBTQ community. As a closeted queer person in Malaysia, hearing that my church was going to speak about this, I was like, fuck yes. And low-key, yeah. some of the other church members were like, Taran, you should come. You know, they kind of knew about it. <laughs> yeah. um, you really enjoyed this. Cheeky. Yeah. Um, so I, and I told my dad, you know, I really wanted to go. And yep. him as a Christian, as a staunch Christian, he um was excited for me, you know. So we went. I was sitting I don't think I was sitting with my dad at the time. I don't know why. But you know, we're there at the sermon. When the sermon starts, the speaker changes the slides from loving LGBT loving the LGBTQ community to the ethics of the LGBTQ community. And mm. or like the Christian ethics or something. And I was like, okay, maybe. And I am a very compassionate and, you know, empathetic person. I'm you thinking, are. Okay, maybe, maybe he's, he's going to talk about the ethics of hating the LGBTQ community, you know, yeah. as Christian. I was still very excited. But the more he kept on speaking, it was just hate speech after hate speech <sighs> after hate speech. And it's one thing hearing that from a guest speaker. In your church, it's another thing seeing the people around you who you considered friends, who you have some sort of rapport with, they're nodding, yeah, they're agreeing. And my heart was breaking. You know, I could not be in that space. I told, I texted my dad. I'm like, I can't be here. I'm gonna wait in the car. Let me know when you're done. So I I leave the sermon. I I go to the car and I'm sitting there and I'm texting my other friend. My, my other church member friend. And I'm telling her all these things. Thinking that she's an ally. That she's here for me. She doesn't respond. When I tell her that my heart is breaking. That I tell her that I can't believe what this person is saying. She doesn't respond. So yeah, I that's when I knew that, okay, the church is not a safe space for me. This church is not a safe space for me.
2: Wow. That's freaking intense. We're going to pause here today guys this episode does continue next week so tune in for that you can follow us at auntie please on instagram to stay in touch natasha j lama is my handle achaya5 is shayas and Tarang's details will be in the show notes but this episode will continue next week so stay tuned to see how this story goes because I promise you Tarang's dad does a very very lovely thing see you guys then bye